Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. In the last part of What is a Financial Planner, we talked about a brief history of how the financial planning industry evolved from passive planning to actively giving out advice. What role should a proper financial planner play? Consultor and private office manager. LBW's viewpoint, we don't sell financial products, we sell financial services. We also discussed the importance of understanding your advisor's incentives, how they get paid can make all the difference on what they can do for you. And lastly, the disconnect of what the public view of our industry as a financial planner is versus what we can truly provide. So we look forward to continuing this discussion of what is a financial planner. Maybe we should talk. You just mentioned it, and and people people are familiar with with a CFP. Yeah, and they should be more familiar on top of that, which we think there's greater value uh, within the CPWA, mm-hmm. but uh, which I'm sure a lot of our audience probably has not heard of a CPWA. Yeah. but uh, you have both uh, yep. as far as credentials, and it may make sense if we're talking about financial planning, financial planners, which we actually see here as the wild west because there really yeah. is. Not a lot of true work that's been done there yet. Um, maybe we should talk about what where credentials fall in to be able to to proudly say I am a financial planner. Yeah, um, I mean, just to hit on that topic too with the wild wild west. I think to emphasize how wild wild west it actually is is Michael Kitsis, who is absolutely fantastic. He started a blog called The Nerd's Eye View. Also has a podcast. One of the best bloggers for financial planners, I think, out there right now. Period. Um, the amount of content that he pushes and what he, what he actually provides for advice is fantastic. A lot of academic research. But he is a gentleman that wasn't a researcher, wasn't an academic, came out of the industry who just was passionate about it and started writing about it. And now everybody, if you're a planner, know about it. He's now wider. Yeah, he, like, he is like the guy. But like that's the example of like how Wild Wild West it actually is. I mean, there's nobody before him. He started up, I think it was like 2007, 2008. I think I might be off on that, but it's like that per one person who is just like it, which is fascinating from any is providing actual education, which was never done before. I mean, just to put that into perspective for how long our industry has been in here for, for a planning perspective is, is out of this, it's out of the world. But going back to Dan's question about the CFP and CPWA, I think that with the CFP, the CFP is very, it's great. Um, it's a certified financial planner. I think that everybody should go through it. I think that it gives you a very good base level understanding of, of certain topics. It's a good way to get your feet wet, in my opinion, right? It's a good way to say, okay, what are the, what's the terminology? What are the languages? What are you trying to look at? The problem that I kind of have with the curriculum in particular is it's very much this is what should be done. This is how it should be done. Um, it's a little bit more boilerplate. I would give it the example of like saying it's kind of like undergraduate degree where you're going into like a business school and they're saying, here, crunch the numbers. This is the output where the CPWA, which is the, the acronym for that is a certified private wealth advisor, is technically geared towards a high net worth. So you get into a little bit more of the customization because of the wealth that someone may have. But I have, I have a hard time with it because there's been a lot of the curriculum that I actually use for our current clients. 
um, because I think that the incentives that people are receiving from employers, the high income earners um, that we are seeing that are coming through our doors may not have the wealth to start that planning, but they're in the throes of it. And and you, I like stock options are a really good example. Stock options are a big piece to that overall curriculum. And you're seeing tech execs at the age of 25 getting SARS, getting ISOs, NQSOs. And they're like, I have no idea what to do with this. I don't even know what it means. Or you get into a startup and they throw you stock options. So even though they could be worth nothing, that curriculum is very applicable to that specific scenario. And I would say, too, the way that they approach it is very more academic and a little bit more from a graduate level perspective, where they say, here's the information, come up with your own conclusion, right? We're not going to tell you this is the right way. We're just going to tell you this is what it looks like, and this is how the potential to piece it together. Um, so it gives you more of a tool set than necessarily like this is how it should be done. Here are the step-by-step process. So I enjoyed it personally because it's a little bit more liberal in a sense. Um, and the education level was just fantastic. It went, I went through Yale. It was really, really good. And I would highly suggest it. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I still use it today. I literally went to my curriculum today to, to help with a client who, again, is not technically a high net worth individual, right? But he happens to have a spouse that's a non-citizen spouse, which is very applicable to the curriculum within that, um, in the CPWA. So it's, it's very interesting. I don't think it has to be just tied to that specifically. Plus, side note, I'm very big on education, so I think that a lot of people should continue their education. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where it is. Also, with the CFP, I think that it eventually it sounds like, or based off the readings, that it might become a regulatory body. Which or, I think it should. Which it might regulate financial planners, which would be very interesting, and I think eventually that it might get there. Who knows how long or if it will actually happen, but it sounds like they're trying to shift their way into that kind of a space. And uh, beware to that kind of like the fiduciary comment where people will ask us because they, now they know the word, are you a fiduciary? Great that they're asking it. We're glad. They sh- you know, the people they hire should be fiduciaries in our, in our, in our strong opinion. But um, just like that, we'll hear, you know, do you have a CFP? Um, do you have a CFP in the firm? And our answer there, of course, Tim being right next to me is yes. But keep in mind that it's, it's not enough um, by no. itself. So... I think people, because because of a lack of knowledge, hear a terminology, don't judge everything just whether or not they have, say, a CFP. Great if they have it, but you're talking a one-year curriculum that if a person has a four-year degree, they can go after. doesn't mean that they're the right fit or that that one year is going to give them enough of an expertise mm-hmm. to be able to come in there and assist you. Um, you know, For example, I've taken about half the course coursework for CFP but uh, didn't need to complete it. A lot of times I think it's now just a marketing strategy, unfortunately, or being used that way. Yeah. Not to say there's not valuable information in it, but you know, they forget, you don't forget to talk about uh, people's backgrounds growing up in business or whether or not what their bachelor's degree happens to actually be in or their mm-hmm. master's degree happens to be in. So gr- great vetting tools, but make sure that you're going deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, mean, I would actually even relate what you're talking about even more towards Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a self a self-taught investor, right? And being self-taught can be very beneficial in a lot of different ways. And I think in the in financial planning, you have to be self-taught. Like it, the CFP will get you to a point and then the CPWA will take you to another level. But I still to this day have to continue to read blogs, read articles, but read Michael Kitsis because there's so much information out there and you have to continue to learn about it. But the, the problem with our, our industry is there's no source of information 
That is literally why I went to the CFP to CPWA is to speed my learning process up because it was curriculum that was organized and saying, here's information, consume it, right? Instead of me having to go to a thousand different blogs saying, do I agree with this? Do I not? Is this really, you know, um, true? Is it not true? Like it's information that's curated, that's directed. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I did it. It was to speed the learning curve a lot quicker than having to do it myself. But even now it's like, now I got to continue to do myself talking to lawyers, CPAs, asking questions. I mean, there is no curriculum. And I would say too, what is the hardest part, which took a long time and Dan probably can relate to this. Nathaniel probably a little bit doesn't deal with it as much is what the CFP doesn't do. CPWA did a little bit is the qualitative side of planning. Qualitative side of planning is probably the most difficult and hardest thing to learn because you have to deal with individuals who are not rational and who have different wants and different needs, and that can change your advice. And you have to be very willing as a planner to be flexible and, and I don't empathize, sympathize with the individual, but ensure that they're still getting to a place that's going to get them relative where they need. So you, they don't strap themselves in that. And that takes just time. That's, I don't know how else to, to say that one other than it takes time and understand the behavioral side. I think the psychology of planning is just as big as me crunching numbers on a mortgage amortization schedule. So essentially the longer you stay in this business and the more you get it, you're just going to compound your knowledge. So for our firm, we're literally not only compounding our knowledge individually, but I think that one could argue that we're compounding our competitive advantage as a firm with regards to our competition as, as we grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The The practice of financial planning we find to be in the shift that we're seeing towards it very very attractive yeah. for for people and some people are are niching in and we can talk about that but there's such a span of of items or concepts to explore that 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 really people are not accustomed to exploring when dealing with a financial professional or expert if you want to call it that i mean we, you should be having planning conversations if you want to kind of grasp what gets talked about in planning? Everything from um, the compensation packages that Tim is talking about with stock options or other, there are other comp, comp, uh, considerations as well too, all the way to understanding what kinds of debt to carry at what point, how to structure it, what you give up by taking on said debt, for example, the kinds of assets that you own, what those assets, if they are producing for you yeah. or not, where those projections might lead you, having conversations about opportunity costs because every decision we make is a decision that we also don't make somewhere else and how that's going to overall impact things. And then also having conversations about those goals. That's not foo-foo. The reality is people don't talk about it. We don't talk about what those goals look like. And we don't. We never expect someone coming in the door to know what their goals are and we don't prioritize those goals then we don't have a target and we don't know how we're going to fit that. If a person is spending, and we always say, we don't care what you're spending on, minus a couple of legal activities. Um, (laughs) We don't care. But what we do care about is that that spending habit is bringing that person a quality of life that is sustainable. The planning efforts are the measurement to be able to make sure that that is occurring correctly Mm -hmm. and that it's going to continue to occur and then the assets come in to make sure that that's actually um, possible from a funding standpoint. 
It's a beast. And where and where it differs from asset management is when we buy, for example, an entity, an investment, we are not looking for that investment next week to, to yield a mm-hmm. return. We're not looking for it to reach its intrinsic value and satisfy our thesis. Yeah. That's a long-term concept. It has to be. You're buying businesses. Financial planning, not so much. Financial planning not only has the ability to change next month, it will. Yeah. So the ability to adapt and change and morph impacts your day-to-day life where the investment you hold most days don't does not really impact your life. But the planning piece, it does. So mm-hmm. why aren't we talking about that conversation? Oh, I mean because it's it's number one, I would say we don't people don't talk about it because it's a very real conversation. And you have to actually understand what you want, which even even I can even admit to myself that sometimes I don't even really know what I want, right? That conversation gets stopped right in the get-go is, you know, how are you feeling? How do you feel about this? And people just don't really know because they haven't necessarily thought about it, taken the time to think about it. And I would say, too, that when we talk about it, and I actually stole this from another advisor that I had read a blog on or was listening to a podcast, and I wish I remember the gentleman's name, but he talked about agile planning, and that's it, I would 100% agree with it is that what we do as a firm and looking for financial planning specifically is we are agile planners. And what does that mean is we're, you're taking the agile project planning of like new tech firms, right, where they're going to develop not a product from start to finish, but evolve it as it goes, getting customer feedback, how are things doing, and then shifting and moving to whatever the needs are. That's how we plan, which is very, a, not say atypical, but it's a different way of approaching it. Then instead of saying, okay, Nathaniel, you want to retire in 30 years. Here's some retirement projections. This is what we need to do. Do you think Nathaniel's going to put away $1,000 a month for 30 years? Maybe Nathaniel, but... Besides him? <laughs> no. You know, <laughs> because what's, you tell me, what, so what's going to happen is you're going to have kids. You're going to have a death in the family. You're going to have a vacation come up. You're going to have an uncle that gets sick. I mean, all of that life happens way too fast. So if we can plan for the next 12 to 24 to maybe 36 months and have a good grasp on what's going to happen within that time frame keeping our eyes on the larger target and making sure we can go through that, but being positioning ourselves to saying, if your wife does die, this is what's going to happen. If she doesn't die, we're still okay. You know, because life is essentially a matrix of decision-making at all times. And so we're just continually positioning our clients to make those decisions freely and independently with thought and education behind it. Because it's, there's no bad decision, but there can be bad outcomes, even if you made the right decision. That's what people don't grasp onto. And that really is an essence of planning. In anything, it's project management to a T. Financial planning isn't static, it's dynamic. At all times. And anybody who gives you a financial plan and just says, thanks for your time, that's not all there is to it. No, it's a big mistake. And we that and that's common. That's common place. It's very common. Yeah. And somebody will say, Oh, I did a financial plan, the Mm. tangible thing. That's great. That's a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. And in in a year from now, we've gone through them, things have changed. Can't hold accuracy to it anymore. No, because people change. Yep. In in closing, uh, in closing, gentlemen, what what do you think people should associate with the idea of a financial planner? And I think maybe it makes sense for Tim to go last, being that <laughs> he he really is a pioneer <laughs> when, it, when it comes to planning. No way. We'll, you no know, way. Uh, Nathaniel is volunteer. Let's take him up on it. As always, be rational. Be rational in your understanding of the incentives of the the people who are trying to sell you something, be it a product or a service. We we ask, uh, we tell people up front when they're talking to us about if they want to work with us or not. We tell them up front 
how we get paid. Uh, we either wait for them to ask or we tell them up front. Uh, look for transparency in the financial planners that you are uh, working with. And don't be afraid to ask questions when you're speaking to somebody about their financial planning services. And I would say that to be a financial planner means that you are operating a practice. And sometimes we use that terminology and people don't get what we're quite saying. I hammer us on that every once in a while. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not saying that you should work with novices. That's not what we're saying here. What we are saying is that you should be working with life, with life learners and people that are willing to embrace the agility of what this profession should be mm-hmm. and, and be able to apply it and, uh, and be willing to adapt um, and able to adapt as time goes on. Because the reality is, if you're not if you're not working with well-oiled ball bearings, you're gonna break. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna break. That that is very true. And I would agree with Dan a hundred percent when it comes to um, working with somebody who is a a life learner. And I would say that about our firm in general is one something that I I really appreciate, and I think that we embody as a culture is we are life learners. Everybody within the office. Anywhere from the administrative staff all the way up to us, um, we continuously want to learn. And I think you have to with this profession. I want to emphasize that, like Dan mentioned. You have to do that because things do change. I'd also say, you know, what when you're thinking of planning, it, to really sum it up in a very simplistic way, is planning, financial planning is life. And what comes with life is sadness, happiness, excitement, you know, pitfalls, ups, downs, all in between. Um, and as a planner, I think you have two hats to wear. You have to be the analyst. You have to be willing to go into the weeds and not just go by rule of thumb, not just to say, you know what, because your mortgage interest rate is lower than, you know, what you can achieve in the market, you should, you know, invest in the market. I think you you need to have the ability to be that type where you can get into the weeds, but in, but also have be the individual who can look at somebody across from the table from you who's struggling and make recommendations to make sure that they're okay qualitatively because that's a different type of return. There's a different type of return when it comes to money than when it comes to somebody's happiness. And if you really want to break it down even to microeconomics when you're looking at strict utility curves, that's what it's all about is an individual utility curve is how much happiness do you get out for like a marginal product. And that's what planning is, is you have to understand the, the um, qualitative and the quantitative and you have to weigh them the same. And sometimes you have to tell clients, like, if you make this decision, you are giving up money. But if you, when you do make it, you could gain this. And if they decide that they want to give up money to be more happy, then how can you ever fault someone for making that decision, right? So that is our goal as a planner is not to make decisions for clients, but to, in order for, but to position them and give them advice and make sure they understand the decisions they are making, right? Because again, outcomes are not black and white, they're gray. And they will always be great. And even if you do the right thing, bad things happen. Happen all the time, right? You could plan forever and then someone can get cancer and die, right? And then you're like, why did I do that? What was it worth it? But how did you make the decision at the time, right? So planning is, is, is that's why I like it personally. And that's what I would take away from it. And that's very hard to quantify. It's very intangible, but you can get it through how people react, what kind of advice you're getting, if they're asking appropriate questions, um, I think we do a pretty good job at that. So yeah, that's what I, that's what I got. 
Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.